Good morning, everybody. What an awesome morning in church already so far. Anybody enjoy worship this morning? I love Sunday, breaking of bread Sundays, because I feel like it just slows everything down just that little bit more to give you a little bit of space just to, to be in God's presence and just to enjoy Him. So that's been great. But we're going to carry on with our gospel series this morning. And, you know, as a church... As a church, as we, as the church, follow Jesus together, our, our mission or our vision is that we want to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. And when we were um, moving into this building a few years ago, uh, we, were, we were still busy building and we were having a, a prayer meeting and just praying for the, the kingdom impact that we were going to have by having a permanent home. And as we were praying, I saw this picture of a lighthouse. And you know, Mill Park, the flats part, is, is super tall. And so it really does stick out in our community. And so often when we're driving in the car, my kids will say, hey, look, there's church. Oh, look, there's church. And they're always looking out to see where they can see church um, because it is this tall building. And I just saw this picture of, of Mill Park as this lighthouse. You can put up the picture of these beams shining out and just reaching all over our community. And then last week as a staff, we actually went up to Signal Hill just to pray. We had a, a week of prayer and fasting. We were just praying for our city, for our communities, um, for you, for the church, for God's kingdom to advance. And as I was looking over our city, I felt quite overwhelmed. And I just looked down and I saw so many cars on the roads and so many buildings and so many homes and so many people represented. And I asked God, like, God, how? How are we going to do this? Like, how do we reach the city with the life-giving message of Jesus? And you could actually see Mill Park from up top there. You could see the tall building. And I was reminded of this picture of the lighthouse. And I thought, yes, like, we're the lighthouse. But I felt that like God gave me a slightly different picture. And it was more like this one. You could put the next one up. It wasn't the light shining out of the building, wasn't the beams, it was people walking out with lanterns. And I just saw these streams of people walking out of our doors, holding these lanterns high and going in all different directions throughout the city. And as I looked over the cars and the houses again, I thought, how many of you are in those buildings? How many of, of Christians all over our city are represented in every single home, every single building, every single workplace, every single school, every single varsity. And I thought, that's how we're going to do it. That's how we reach our city with the life-giving message of Jesus, is when each of us take our lanterns, we hold it high, we don't hide it, and we walk out of this building into our worlds. Amen. So Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. And you know that this is Jesus, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, he's not talking to religious leaders, he's talking to the crowd, the followers, those that were following Jesus, and he's saying, you are the light of the world. A town built on a city, or a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, instead they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so I want to echo Jesus' words to us this morning and say, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. And if we're wanting, so if we're wanting to see a kingdom impact, if we're wanting to see 
our church, us, View Church Milton, reaching our city and our community with the life-giving message of Jesus, then each of us needs to take that light and walk out into our world. See, we gather on a Sunday, and this is important, like Sunday services are important, and those of you joining online, it's important that we're gathering together so that we can be filled up, so that we can be equipped, so that we can have an opportunity to sit in God's presence and be filled so that we can walk out an overflow of that into our workspaces. And do you know that as a pastor, our role is not to build this amazing church that's so beautiful and amazing that it just draws people in. That's not our role. Our role as a pastor is to equip you so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry so that you can go out and reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. So what does this look like in our world? Okay, some of you might be having a little bit of heart palpitations right now, feeling a little sweaty, because you've, you've got a history of evangelism from when you were younger. Okay, I have some very awkward stories of evangelism when I was younger. Do you know that in Sunday school, we used to sometimes go out into, as kids, we'd go out and talk into, I mean, I grew up in a small town, so we wouldn't do that here, but we would go into our community and just knock on doors as children and say, hi, I'm just here to tell you that Jesus loves you, okay, and run away, and it was so awkward, (laughs) and I don't remember it ever actually bringing anyone into church. And as a young adult in life group, we did this series on uh, reaching people, and it was about the Ten Commandments and something about, um, like, and we actually went into the malls at Bayside (laughs) and went and approached strangers, which I think is quite odd, but we'd go and, and ask them questions about whether they actually align with the Ten Commandments or not. And it never worked, guys. I know, right? So we're not asking you to do that. I'm just going to clarify, okay? But so I don't remember a single person coming to, you remember that, right? Some of you, some of you are like, I was there. (laughs) I don't remember a single person giving their life to Jesus because we told them that they don't stand up to the standards of the Ten Commandments or because we knocked on their door because we randomly spoke to us, tried to speak to a stranger and they thought we were asking for money. But I do know of a lot of people that, are having, that have a life-giving relationship with Jesus because of a relationship that I invested in with them, because I connected with them, because we built into a friendship or into a relationship, and we had conversations, and we had meals together, and we, we bonded, and we connected, and it, and it formed, it developed into a relationship with Jesus. And so what if the gospel or sharing the gospel, could look more like having a colleague over for a meal or inviting a neighbor over for a braai? What if sharing the gospel could look like having a walk on the beach with a friend? What if sharing the gospel could look like leaving work five minutes earlier to get to pick up your kids at school just that little bit earlier so that you're intentional about connecting with a parent that day? What if sharing the gospel could look a lot less like a sales pitch and more like love? What if it could look like what the stories of Jesus in the Bible? And so today I've entitled my message, Loving People into the Kingdom, One Meal at a Time. We're talking about hospitality, and in the biblical sense, hospitality means the love of strangers. So it's kind of the opposite of what we know as xenophobia, 
which is the, the fear or the, the hate of strangers. Hospitality is simply the love of strangers. And this is how the gospel spread in the early days. It spread home to home and table to table. And I want to look at a passage in Luke 19 today of how Jesus did this. He shared the love of God with, with somebody over a meal. And this person turned their life towards Jesus. And so it's Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. And it says, He, talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And I know everybody that grew up in kids' church is now singing that song in their head, right? And a wee little man was he. Uh-huh. I see you. Um, so, and when they saw it, ugh. and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, when they, the crowd and the religious leaders saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus told him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. See, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This was his mission. This is what he came to do. And how he did that, the way that he did it, was with food. Okay, it was through, through mealtimes. The Bible actually says the son of man came eating and drinking. You see, when Jesus ministered to people that were already in the family of faith, so they already knew something of the scriptures or they'd grown up in a Jewish home, um, so kind of like us sitting here, he would stand up and he would preach to them and he would share from the scriptures. But when Jesus encountered somebody that was not in the family of faith, that was excluded or maybe was disillusioned with faith um, or was excluded from the community of faith, he would invite them over for a meal. Well, he technically invited himself over to their house. But things were different in those days. I wouldn't suggest doing that today. Um, but he would connect with them over a meal because meals bring people together because it, it facilitates conversation. When you're sitting, you're relaxed, you're having a meal, you're both on the same level, it opens up an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation. But meals can also keep people apart because of class or... Um, status, or, or maybe even culture, okay, where there's certain people eat in certain restaurants and others eat in different restaurants. There's, there's kind of like this barrier that meals can, can form, and that was also true in biblical times, okay, a rabbi like Jesus, okay, not Jesus, but other rabbis, would never be caught dead having a meal with a sinner, with a tax collector, because meals were about status, and the Pharisees would have, have dinner with, with wealthy Jews. They were exclusive. But when Jesus came, he was inclusive. He invited the down and outs and the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the worst of the worst. And I think if we're wanting to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus, 
then we need to be inclusive. We need to look at who are we? Are we only connecting with the people that are like us? Do we only have dinner with our friends and our family? Are we only building community with those that are already in the faith? Or are we looking outward and being invitational, being inclusive? Verse 7 says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You see, it was disturbing for the people. Because tax collectors in those days were the worst of the worst. Okay? They were Jewish people that had turned their backs on their own people in order to make money. And they were ripping them off. So they, they had the, the power of Rome behind them, so they had centurions with them. So when they went to your house to ask you for tax, you've got armed guards there. They can ask whatever they want, and you have to give it to them. So they would add extra tax on, and they would, they would make themselves rich with their fellow Jews' money. I mean, that's awful. But now, we don't have that in our context today. We do have a tax man, and no one likes him, but it's not the same. Okay, so I was thinking... What would be, for me personally, what would be the worst of the worst today? Like, if I think, what would offend me if Jesus was having dinner with them? And as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? The, the, most, the most awful people I can think of would be the sex traffickers. Someone who would take a child or a, a woman and sell them into slavery. What if that was the person that Jesus was having dinner with? That's offensive, Right? Like, I feel like, like, I don't even want to say that. That's like, why would you have this dinner with such a disgusting person? But that, that's what the people were thinking. That's what they were thinking. Jesus, how can you even go into his house? Do you know what he's done? Do you know how he's treated us? Like, why? One theologian said Jesus got himself killed because of the way he ate because he ate with all the wrong people. But another time when Jesus was having dinner with the tax collectors, it was actually Matthew who became his disciple in Luke 5, 31 to 32. He's, Jesus, they were again saying, why, why, does, why is he having meals with these kinds of people? And his answer was, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You see, meals are a way to invite people in, all kinds of people, because when we sit down and we, we host people and we serve people, it builds a bridge, and it breaks down barriers, and it facilitates real conversation. And do you know that Zacchaeus' name actually means righteous one? Hey, how amazing is that? I think that Jesus saw who he was meant to be and not who he was. He saw him as Zacchaeus, the righteous one. And he knew he could get there. And he knew if he just had an encounter with Jesus, everything would change. And do you know that it did change? Okay, in the, at the end, Zacchaeus stood up and said, God, I'm going to give everything back. Like, I'm going to give four times back what I took. And the, the, in the Jewish law, there is something that, they, there's a law that talks about a thief and what he must give back. But do you know that Zacchaeus promised to give back double what the law actually insisted him on giving. So you can see it's a real heart change. He's not saying, okay, okay, the law says this, let me, let me fix it. No, he's saying, I'm going to give back everything. I'm going to give back half of what it took. Four times I'm going to pay people back because he had a heart change. And I think sometimes maybe we just need to look around in our office spaces, in our schools, in our workplaces, and 
and actually see people with a different, with a different eyes, see what God sees and not what's there right now. Maybe that annoying coworker or that horrible boss or that dodgy kid at school or parent at school. Maybe we can ask God to give us eyes to see, to see them the way that Jesus sees them. Because all Zacchaeus needed was an invitation and a meal with Jesus. So we're talking about living beyond ourselves, beyond our friendship circles and what's comfortable for us and reaching out and stepping out in to something that's uncomfortable and seeing people, seeing, actually seeing the people that God has placed in our lives. And you know, my dad was really good at this, awkwardly so. <laughs> um, my dad just loves people, and he, he's always at a heart to reach people that are far from God. And so even though he made plenty of mistakes in his life, and for a period he was actually in prison, do you know that once he got out of prison, we would have people for years knocking on our door and saying, hi, sorry, I was in jail with your dad. I'm like, Daddy, <laughs> where are you? Because he just shared the love of God, even there. Like, you know, it's like he, he was passionate about people. He would, could see that God had something different for people. And at, because of everything that happened, we eventually lost our house and we lost everything. And we ended up living in a caravan park. Um, I slept in a tent, which was super easy to sneak out of. But that's a story for another time. But, so we stayed in a caravan park, and do you know that even then, like, we didn't have a house. Like, we couldn't host people, we didn't have a house, but yet we still hosted people. Do you know that we didn't have a car, but yet my dad still organized people to get to church. So we, we had friends that had a bigger car, and they would come fetch us for church. They lived, like, a street down from the church, but they would come all the way into the city or into the town to come and fetch us. And then my dad was like, oh, great, there's more space in the car. I'm going to just walk down the streets and invite all the people that are living on the streets to come to church with us. And we would have to sit in the car, like not, not be, like, like it didn't smell nice in there. It was uncomfortable. But they came to church. And eventually, which is completely illegal, my dad used to come and get them to shower at the caravan park. And and provide clothes for them and provide them with food, even though we had nothing, because he, he had a heart for people. And I think that, that's maybe our question this morning. Do we have a heart for people? I want to just read the statement to you, and you just to listen and, and, and see how you respond to this. It says, do I see my house as a retreat from the world? So do I see my house as a castle or somewhere where I can just escape the world and be by myself and enjoy the pleasures of my life? Or do I see it as a base for the kingdom in my neighborhood, as an outpost for God's kingdom, God's kingdom that's come down and it's present in my neighborhood? And do I see my table or my bri as the tangible way, a tangible way to show Jesus's love to my neighbor? And I just want to quickly contrast, touch on the contrast between entertainment and hospitality. Because some of us might be thinking, oh, that's a lot of pressure. Especially if you're one on the Enneagram. You're like, oh, got to have my house clean. Got to have everything perfect. Have it all sorted. See you, Cherise. Where's she? <laughs> but there's a difference between entertainment and hospitality. Okay? And I'm, I don't know if you've got it up there, Ryan. I've, just, I've copied and pasted this, this exactly as I found it because it was just so good. 
Okay, entertainment, I'll go through the list. Entertainment is exclusive. Okay, it's you invite, you're inviting the in crowd, you're inviting those that are going to make you look good. Hospitality is inclusion. It's an open table where all are welcome. Entertainment is performance-based. Okay, we're showing off our home and our culinary skills. But hospitality is service. It's inviting people in to serve them. Entertainment, is a, there's a clear line between the host and the guest. But hospitality is wherever Jesus went, he was both the host and the guest. He always came to both give and to receive. So hospitality is not just in your home. You can host people at the life-saving club while you're doing nippers. That was for my life group, in case you're watching. Okay? <laughs> you can host people in other people's homes. So Jesus went over to Zacchaeus' home, and yet he hosted him. He served him. He, he hosted the conversation. Entertainment is sporadic. It's like an event on a calendar. So you say, oh, on this day, we can have somebody over. But hospitality is a regular, it's a rhythmic way of life. Hospitality is living with, it, with an open home and saying, my home is open. On a Sunday, we're going to have people over. We'll just invite wherever we see. Come on, my home is open. It's a way of life, hosting people. Entertainment says, I have you over. Now it's your turn to have me over. Hospitality is generosity. You give and expect nothing in return. And entertainment helps you move up the social ladder, one dinner party at a time. But entertainment, uh, hospitality is reaching beyond our social, our economic status, our culture, and our race, and inviting those that are far from God, connecting with them, being intentional about looking out for people that, don't, that aren't a part of our clique. Are there any Joburgers that, that have moved down? Do you find it easy to connect in Cape Town? Okay, no Joburgers here. I came from Mossel Bay, there we go. <laughs> but you're part of our life group, so we made it easy. That's fine. <laughs> That's why. Do you know, Cape Town is super clicky, okay? If, you, if you're a Cape Townian, you don't realize. But for those of you, those of us that came from the outside, it's super clicky. We don't, we don't socialize beyond the people that are in our little group. But that's not a kingdom culture. That's a Cape Town culture. Okay, we need to change that. We need to live with a kingdom culture of hospitality, of open doors, open circles, open friendship groups. And I know that COVID has limited this so much. Okay, for the last, what, two years, it's, we haven't been able to bring people into our home. But I do want to encourage you that no matter where you are, like if you're um, somebody who's fully vaccinated or you, you're feeling... Um, um, like, okay, you're ready to get out there and connect with people, have people over, or whether you've got comorbidities and you're, you're not feeling quite like, oh, I don't really want to connect with people, there is still a way to be hospitable. Okay, it doesn't have to look like having a group of people in your home. You can go for a masked walk along the beach with somebody. Okay, there is a way. We cannot allow Satan to keep taking this away. Okay, he's having a field day with the gospel being shared, with the church of Christ advancing, with kingdom impact. We need to find a way that's going to be, that where we feel comfortable with to actually get out there and reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Okay, you don't even have to have a home. Some of you might think, my house is so tiny. We have beautiful parks, beautiful beaches. We live in Cape Town. Come on. If the, if the wind is blowing, you go to around the mountain. There's, a be there's beaches there. There's parks there where it's not blowing. It's amazing. 
Okay, there's always something that we can do to reach people, to connect with people. So I'm just asking you to think out of the box. See, how, what can we do to connect with people? And I just want to quickly give you three, three quick points to help you with this. Something to think of, something to consider as we look at how we can have people over in our homes or around our communities. Firstly, it's a, the first one is you can't give what you don't have. It's not our light that we must shine, it's God's light. It's the light of Jesus. And so we need to be filled in order to overflow. So I do want to encourage you to keep getting into God's presence. Keep reading Scripture. Keep spending time praying. Fill yourselves up so that when you find yourself in your office space, in your schools, at the Life Saving Club, wherever you find yourself, you've got something of God to, to overflow into people. You've got some encouragement. You've got some life. You've got some joy that you can overflow towards them. And often when we've gone to people's houses to... Um, sorry, I'm getting distracted. Often when we've gone to people's houses where we know that there's going to be people there that don't know Jesus, I've often just prayed and said, God, please just give me an opportunity Give me an opportunity today, anything. Like, I'm going to be looking for it. Give me an opportunity just to share some encouragement. And he always does. There's just a moment where I can say, you know what? It's going to, it's going to be okay. Or, hey, like, I've been through that. This is how I got through it with Jesus. Or, hey, like, you're a really great person. Like, I really enjoy spending time with you. Just anything. Like, allow God to, to give you something. Secondly, it's to consider your conversation. Okay, so you can't give what you don't have, and then consider your conversation. Are you aligning with the conversation that's happening in that circle? So if you're going to a braai with, with people that don't know God, are you just jumping in on their conversation, or are you intentional about being life-giving? Is your conversation life-giving, or is it negative? Is it proclaiming the faith that you have in Jesus, or are you joining in on the disillusionment of the people around you? So just consider your conversation and think, God, how can, how can I be a, which one's the right one, thermostat in this place and not a thermometer? We don't take the temperature, we set the temperature. So God, how can I be a thermostat in this environment at work or in this bride that I'm going to or in my school? How can I shift and change the temperature, the atmosphere by the words that I use, by the conversation? How can I lift up the conversation that it leads towards you? And then lastly, take the pressure off. Okay, it's not our job to convert people or to debate God with people. Okay, it's, there's no pressure. You don't have to make people believe in Jesus. All God calls us to do is to plant seeds. All we have to do is wherever we find ourselves the most, just plant seeds. Seeds of hope, seeds of joy, seeds of life, seeds of encouragement. Okay, Mark 4 Verse 26 says, so it's Jesus and he's talking about the kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. You see, God... God grows those seeds. That's not our job. We don't have to force things. All we have to do is God, what God asks us to be faithful with is just to plant the seeds. 
plant the seeds, plant the seeds, fill ourselves up, come together, fill, fill our lives with God's word, with his truth, connecting with other people that are, are full of life so that we can be encouraged and filled up so that we can go out into our workplaces, into our schools, into our communities and just sow those seeds of life. And so my challenge to you today is to invite one, invite somebody that you don't know or that's not in your circle of friends. And I just say invite because it doesn't have to be to your house. You can invite them for a walk on the beach. You can invite them to a picnic in the park. You can invite them to a Zoom conversation. <laughs> I don't know if that'll work, but something with food would be better because that helps. But just invite somebody. Can we do that? Can we look out for somebody this week that we don't know? Maybe it's here at church. Maybe there's somebody in this building that's new to church or that's new to, to, the, to the family of God or that's still questioning. Can we just look out for people this week, wherever we are, and just simply give one invitation? I know we often say, like, we want to be like Jesus, we want to become like Jesus, and then we want to do what Jesus did. But if we, if we truly are saying we want to do what Jesus would do if he were me, I honestly believe his life would be open. If he were in my situation, if he had three children, if he had my job, if he had my life, his life would be open and available to people. So if we're going to do what Jesus did, then I want to invite you and encourage you to open your hearts, open your lives, open your homes to, to people so that we can reach our communities for Jesus. So just before, I'm going to pray for you guys, and God says that he gives us everything we need in order to do what he's asking us to do. So I'm going to pray for you and pray that God would give you seeds of life to sow into your communities and into your, your homes and places as you go out here. But before I do that, I just want to talk to anybody that's maybe online or in here that you don't have that relationship with Jesus. And I want to read a scripture. I want to tell you what Jesus says to you. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is still communing with people today the same way he did with Zacchaeus. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you are, he sees you for who you could be. He wants to have a friendship with you. And I want to encourage you to, to connect with him today. We're going to have some guys at the Connect area afterwards. And they would love to pray with you. They would love to put a Bible in your hand. If you're wanting to know anything more about following Jesus, of who this Jesus is, he says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. All you have to do is open that door. So as I pray, I'm going to pray for you first if you're in this building, and then I'm going to pray for all of us for this week. You can close your eyes. God, I firstly want to lift up anyone that's here today or watching online that, that doesn't have this kind of relationship with you, that doesn't know you as a father, as a friend, as a savior. God, won't you just knock on their door right now? Lord, whisper in their ear. Show them that you are seeking them. Zacchaeus thought that he was running ahead and seeking you, but actually you were seeking him. And God, there's people here today where you have been seeking them. Lord, help them to give their lives to you. We just commit them to you, Father. Thank you that you love them more than they would ever know. 
Thank you, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. You have good things in store for them. We commit them to you. And God, I commit everybody else that's here today to you. Help us to be faithful with our lights, God. Help us to, to shine our lights into our, our workplaces and into the places where we find ourselves the most. God, help us to plant seeds of life. Won't you keep filling us every time we spend time in your word, every time we spend time in your presence, God. Implant, implant something in us. Fill us so that we can go and overflow. And God, right now, I ask that you lay a name or a, a face on somebody's heart, God, on all of our hearts, Lord. Show us who we can connect with. Give us the boldness and the courage to do that. God, show us how we can do that safely in our environments. But Lord, help us not to hide our light. Help us to shine at God so that you can be glorified, so that your kingdom can grow, so that people can come into a life-giving relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.